they said we were a little old cow college from upstate South Carolina. That we didn't belong as one of the elite. They said our coach was just a cheerleader. They said our quarterback was second best. That our team was a fraud. What they say now. I'll tell you what they say now. They're saying that the Clemson Tigers are national champions. That they are the best because they beat the best. They're saying that Dabo Sweeney is a great leader of men. And that Sean Watson is the best player in college football. They're just telling us things we already knew. Then they called it an upset. They said that the underdog prevailed. That David defeated Goliath in one of the greatest battles of all time. But they've got it all wrong. Clemson is Goliath. And as the confetti rained down, the tears of joy were wiped away. Bright lights of Raymond James Stadium shined down upon the orange cloud faithful as they celebrated with their 2016 national champion Clemson Tigers. A team, a coach, a program, and a fan base that's been reminded since the dawn of this century that they didn't belong, that they'd never be good enough, that they'd never again ascend to the top of the mountain. What they say now. We were there for the Clemson We were there in Miami for 70 to 33. We were there for the 5 P. And yet we still kept coming back. Because the Clemson Tigers never die. But we were also there for 4th and 16. We were there for the first BCS Bowl win. We were there for 6 10 plus win seasons in a row. 3 ACC titles, 5 division titles. We were there for Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Florida State, Notre Dame, Louisville, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. We were there for 56 to 7, 31 to nothing, and we were there for 35 to 31. There for Alabama, where the greatest player in the history of Clemson football moved the Trojan horse down the field and drove a dagger into the heart of a college football empire. Yoda, drop the beat and go crazy. Blue Ridge, no longer Johnny, it's greatness, it's roaring. From the mountaintops of the Appalachians to the shores of Lake Hartwell. From 93 to Centennial. From the West End Zone to the Avenue of Champions. On to Williamson, off of the bus, and up to the rock. Where a group of gritty, fearless, dedicated sons of Clemson pledged to give it 110%. Before running down the hill and into the valley. The valley where the Tigers play. Where the champions reside. The 2016 National Champions. The Clemson Tigers are back, baby. And they're here to feast. What they say now. We set out to put Clemson back on top. We came up a little short last year. But tonight, at the top of the mountain, that Clemson flag is flying. And I'm telling you, these players, this has been the most incredible team I've ever been around. Y'all saw their heart, and it's been there all year, despite what some of those people say. And I'm gonna tell you this, our fans deserve this. 35 years since Clemson's been on top. And the one thing, Credit to all of our teams, because they've all, they, all of my teams have a piece of this. They've been a part of this journey. It's been a heck of a ride. And everything that we've done once, we've done again. And so hopefully, 
Hopefully, before they put me out to pasture, we can do this a few more times. Go Tigers! Unbelievable! Cool! Ice water in his veins! I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby! God's going down, God's stepping up. That's what football's all about. And they say we can't do it! What they say now? Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Friday, January 13th, 2017. Nick Saban is the latest Hall of Fame football coach to lose to a former real estate salesman. I'm still checking my StubHub app to see if ticket prices have gone down. The Clemson Tigers are your 2016 national champions of college football, and life is damn good. Ben and Cody here with you today for part one of a multi-part recap of Clemson's epic, gutty, 35-31 come-from-behind victory against the Alabama Crimson Tide in the national championship game. Today we will rejoice, reminisce, and reflect on the fairy tale of the game that was on Monday night. We're going to unabashedly gush over this team. We're going to drink some beer. We're going to get emotional and likely end up buzzed and weeping in each other's arms by the end of this show. So grab a box of tissues and bear with us as we recollect on the t epic journey of the national champions of college football, the Clemson University Tigers. Saying that is never going to get old. Cody, let's go ahead and get into this uh, sob fest today. Uh starting with talking about raw emotions. We're going to get into what we were feeling like during the game, uh, but while I uh, collect myself and wipe away these tears, uh, tell me a little bit about what you were feeling the moment you knew Clemson was going to win the national championship. Well, I, I was crying. Uh, I think we were all crying. I mean, it happened in the last second. Like, it, And granted, there was like that little period where we didn't know what was going to happen with the, the one second left on the clock, but we knew it. I think I think what got me was the the image the image of Deshaun Watson there on the ground crying and like and just seeing that and seeing Dabo tearing up and then all of a sudden I look around and there's four or five grown men crying we're hugging one another uh, it was it was amazing it, it, I, I don't care, I don't care what they say like talk about like getting once you have it, it it feels great I think it just it stays with you it's not something you just experience in one game it, it's it's still like I still feel the same buzz four days later that I did. Uh, on Monday night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, we're we're back here in San Francisco. To give you a little background, Cody and I did travel uh, to the game with a group of friends. However, most of us were unable to get in because ticket prices were so high. So we were gathered around an RV in the lot outside the stadium, watching with about forty people. And you know, we didn't we didn't take a lead until you know four minutes and change left in the game. So. For that roller coaster of emotions to to happen, I mean, you hit the top and it started going down really quick as you knew uh, as we raced towards the finish line. And the the moment uh, that ball landed in Hunter Renfro's hands, man, you know, we all knew it right then. I took off sprinting as fast as I could around the parking lot. Uh, found one of my friends at some other RV. Saw him running out. I jumped into his arms. <laughs> you know, came back, found you guys. Uh, we were all hugging and just, it was pitiful the way we were sobbing. Um, our friend Vince, uh, you know, is accusing me of making pretty funny sounds when I cry. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware. I, I don't sob that often. Um, you know, in my defense, he kind of looks like a menstruating koala when he cries. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, man, like even back here in San Francisco, I'm still randomly getting teary-eyed 
you know, walking to work, I was listening to Mike and Mike the other day, and when they said uh, that you know, Clemson Tigers are the 2016 uh, uh, national champions, I, I I started tearing up. You know, my eyes got puffy just walking to work, and it's been that way. Like I've had these moments just thinking about it, sitting at my desk at work, where I've had to kind of just keep myself from choking up and looking like an idiot sitting there at my desk. It it feels amazing. Um... I, the great thing is we have eight more months to to, to be the champions, and, and that's and that's good. But Dabo said we we haven't reached the pinnacle. It's all part of the journey, and I think that's part of it. It's it's that this whole thing is it's a journey, not to be too philosophical, but it's something like just experience the high, enjoy the high. There will be some lows, there'll be the ebbs and flows, but this is part of just being the number one team in the in the nation, and uh, and really having so much pride. For, for the Clemson football team and the way they represent our university as a graduate. Uh, I think we can both say we live in San Francisco, uh, and we're both Southerners. We're both from South Carolina. Um, I think you want to have some kind of identity um, that's something tied to the school, and I think that we found that out here through our university, our, our alumni group. Um, but then watching back eastward, seeing the way that Clemson has grown over the last eight years under Dabo Sweeney, and it, the, the pride, the passion he has is, is infectious. I think it's, it's just permeated our whole alumni base. It, it probably extends well beyond San Francisco. Yeah, absolutely. The Clemson brand right now is stronger than it's ever been. Um, and it is starting to reach um, out here to California. And, you know, a part of that is the commitment that the athletic department has made uh, to not only the football program but all sports programs, but then also what Dabo um, and his vision has done for this program, and, and not to mention all the hardworking, dedicated young men who give everything they have representing our university and leave it all out there on the field. Nobody has worked harder than them, and I want to first uh, just say thank you to the players, the coaches, not just the ones on the team this year, but all the ones from the past who helped build it up to this moment. Um, cause all their dedication and hard work was, you know, it was for them and for each other, their brothers out there on the field, but it was also for the fans and they let us know how much that they appreciate us. And I just want to let them know how much we appreciate them, um, being such great representatives for our university. So I want to say thank you to them. Um, so before we move on, I'd like to give a quick shout out to Tiger Net. Um, we have been partnering with them all year long. They have been gracious enough to uh, post our episodes to their website. And, you know, we appreciate all of that. It's, it's really helped us grow our listener base. And not only do we appreciate them, we also appreciate all the listeners that we've had uh, throughout this magical season. Um, you know, now is the perfect time to go over to Tiger Net, check out all their articles. They've got all the personal insights uh, to the reactions to all the players, to, co- to the coaches, and a bunch of other content you're just not going to find elsewhere. So definitely go check that out. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to like you said, this is, this is a feeling that's going to stay with us for a long time, and it's really hard to quantify that right now. Like, we're eventually going to have to take a step back and understand what exactly that means. Um, but, you know, I mentioned this before in previous episodes. This is not a flash in a pan, you know. You know, Clemson very well could have won the game last year. Um, and I don't, uh, and, and to me, that doesn't mean that, or that, that goes to prove that this is not a one-off thing for Clemson. Clemson is around 
for a while. I mean, you look at the kids on the roster that could be back next year and the way that uh, Dabo has been recruiting, Clemson is uh, set up for a sustained period of success, and it starts right now. I think well, I think so. It's well, you could arguably say it started what two years ago. I don't, I don't know when we reached elite. I don't know when we realized it as Clemson fans. I don't know when the national media realized it, but it, it's a long time in the making. I want to go back to the eight years and maybe even a little bit before that. Everything that led up to Dabo Sweeney taking taking the reins, because I went to school. I got to Clemson in '06. I grew up, like I said, in South Carolina. Always a Clemson fan, just like you. Maybe not as as impassioned. And even when I was in college, I wasn't as enthusiastic about the football team. It was a well-known thing. Clemson's not a very big school. People know football players. The, this, the, the team wasn't bought in. They, didn't, they weren't motivated by Tommy Bowden. Uh, that's why you saw some, some games where we performed really well. We beat some top, 10 te- or some top 25 teams. Then we saw losses against Wake and Duke and, and BC. Uh, kids just weren't motivated. And then when Dabo became our coach in... I guess it was 08, um, the, as an interim head coach, you could see these kids would, they would go, they would put it on the line for him from the, the from that moment. And there was something about that that really just kind of endeared him to me. Like, I, 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 I got behind him because I know now these young guys are, they have his back. Well, now I feel like I can be all in. So I know it, it becomes like a big branding thing, the all in thing, but there's so much to it. And I guess as you see things progress from, from 08, the 2010, when we had a bad year. Hey, we had a bad year. People were calling for Dabo's head. Uh, you know who you are. I was on TigerNet, the TigerNet boards defending the heck out of Dabo because I loved him, loved his passion, knew we were going the right direction. You saw the recruits start to come in. Uh, and that was, I think, the first step. You got you to have to have a, have a brand. You have to sell it. That's what you first did. And then second, you have to, you have to improve the coaching. Coaching needed a facelift. It was hard firing Billy Napier. It was hard firing uh, Kevin Steele. Those are respectable guys. Dabo is a very loyal coach. He's proven that, right? He did. He had to make those hard decisions. Brought in Venables. Not just not just bringing in recruiting the right coaches and the, the right players. He's recruiting the right co- coaches. He's getting them. Chad Morris changing the identity of the offense in 2011. Uh, Brent Venables changing the identity of the defense and, in 2012. And for the most part, they're sticking around. It's hard to keep. Uh, your assistant coaches around on elite football teams because jobs are opening up for them elsewhere. Exactly, and it's I mean that just goes to show you know he's not he wasn't a guy that was overly ambitious. He he had to make the right decisions, and the first I think the biggest decision was hiring Chad Morris, changing up that offensive identity, and making Clemson a brand. And it started on offense. Now it's become defense under Venables, but it's it's both it's both sides of the ball. And the way I look at it is, and I've heard some other guy, I think it might have been Bill C. or Stephen Godfrey of SB Nation say this, but he has been uh, an amazing, he, he delegates. He understands his strengths and weaknesses better than any head coach. He's a CEO. What he doesn't do well, he, he confides in others to do that, to pick him up. And, and whether or not he's a great X, X and O coach or he knows schemes, who gives a crap? Because he knows what he's good at. He's, he's great at motivating at uh, building a brand, at inspiring people, inspiring fans, students, players, uh, administration, athletic department, everything, and that's that's what it's come. And I mean, I, I don't know, like if I don't know if it was 2011. I mean, you could tell me 2012 when you saw. I guess when was the first time Ben you, you said this team is going to be a national championship contender, an elite program? It was fourth and 16 against LSU, um, and and winning that football game. You know, we all wondered um, at that point in time 
if Clemson could ever ever physically go toe-to-toe with the elite, specifically the SEC elite of college football. And that game, that moment, uh, to win it, you felt like Clemson arrived. And from that moment forward, they never looked back. Think about all the big wins, storied programs, Hall of Fame coaches that Clemson has has beaten since then. Um, a lot of people didn't see this coming, but they should have. If you go back and look at the uh, the brief, you know, most recent five, six-year history or so of this program under Dabo Swinney, the writing's on the wall. It was there. And, you know, a lot of people in Clemson Nation may have not seen it at first, but we've known it for a while now. We knew it was building to this. And here we are. We're on top of the mountaintop. And that old hokey former insurance salesman, cheerleader of a coach, is sitting here with uh, the best player in college football and a national chip, uh, championship trophy, uh, you know, going back to Clemson, South Carolina, to uh, sit next to the last one-one back in 1981. Yeah, you you could say what you want about Dabo. I I said it, and again, I was fighting Clemson fans. And if you're one of those fans that was calling for Dabo's head in 2011, hell, even up as recent as 2013, we had Clemson fans because we lost to USC at the best time in the program's history. He, they wanted Dabo gone as, as recently as 2013. If you're one of those fans, you know, give all of your life savings to Ed Tay, apologize to Dabo. Um, you're wrong. And when we have another like down period, just keep your mouth shut. But uh, I saw back then, and I told my friends from South Carolina who were adamant they would take Spurrier any day over over Dabo. Well, they've changed their tune now. They would they would take Dabo in a heartbeat, just as well as just about 99% of. Uh, other schools in Division One. Oh yeah, now you hear all the pundits across uh, the the national football landscape and the media saying, "Well, clearly now Dabo is the heir apparent to Nick Saban at Alabama." And you know, you know, I I totally agree that if it, when Nick Saban leaves, that the first person that Alabama is going to call is Dabo Sweeney. Um, and you know what? If what I'm going to do if he takes that job. I am going to disown him, I'm going to curse him, I'm going to burn every memory I have of him, uh, and then I'm going to take a few days and think about it, and realize how much he gave to this program, what he's meant to this program, and where he's brought Clemson, and I'm not going to hold it against him, because you know what, that's his alma mater, that's where he's from, he's won a national championship there, Um, so I'll let those emotions uh, go by the wayside, but you know what, to be honest with you, I don't think he ever leaves. He's got too much invested in this university, in this program. It's his. He built it, man. He is the next legend, um, you know, uh, of Clemson football. He is will be in the Ring of Honor one day, and not a lot of people get to say that. Talking about uh, Dabo and uh, in terms of what he's done, and we I don't even think we intended to talk about Dabo, but we I think it's it's really appropriate that we do spend a little bit more time on Dabo because he's the guy. Um, first of all, this is his creation. He, I, he, Alabama may come calling, but this is his. He, he feels a little ownership over, over Clemson, over what he's built. I think it's going to take a lot more than just Alabama calling to, to get him up and moving. Uh, he just built like a, I don't know, I guess about 10 square feet worth of houses uh, in a community. I think, he's, I think he's here for the long haul, at least we'll say here for the short term. Um, for Dabo, there's so many s- schools out there um, that – you, that could be potentially be sleeping giants. You know, schools that have a little bit of tradition. We have a little bit of tradition. Um, a, you know, winning history. Not not Alabama. Not 
Ohio State, but you know we we love our football. Um, a really impassioned fan base. Fan base, we had that. Um, the one thing we didn't have was the right guy to, to tie it all together. And other schools have tried and they failed. They tried over and over. I mean, ask Tennessee, ask Georgia now. Uh, Florida is looking for the right guy. It's just not that easy to find the right guy. And man, we got really lucky that a uh, we he was promoted by Teradon Phillips in 08 as an interim head coach. Well, and not did, even as a coordinator from wide, the wide receiver position. Well, and didn't even Tommy Bowden recommend him? He did. So he that did. that speaks highly of of Tommy Bowden. And I want to quick give a shout out to him because he started. Uh, the facilities upgrades here at Clemson. So, again, when I talk about those former players and coaches, I'm talking in part about Tommy Bowden for what he's done. Um, but, yeah, for those guys to trust him, in him, and, you know, they told us who he was and who he was going to be, and not a lot of us believed him. And I think at first it was it was fair that not a lot of us believed him. But, you know, we saw what he did, um, and he has proven um, all of those people to be right. And again, he's uh, he's going back to Clemson, South Carolina, as a national champion, and we owe him a huge debt of gratitude. And I just couldn't be more proud uh, for him to be uh, uh, our football coach. So, Cody, let's get into the game here. Uh, just what an epic, epic victory for the Clemson Tigers! You know, getting redemption after the letdown of last year's game, where a lot of us believe that, that Clemson should have won that game as well and could very well be back-to-back -back national champions. But you know what? Things don't come that easily, especially when you're playing such an elite program like Alabama and a Hall of Fame coach uh, like Nick Saban. So I want to first uh, say props to that football team that we've played now two years in a row. Man, what an amazing program they have, what amazing athletes, and what amazing coaching um, that Alabama has. And, you know, Clemson can now, you know, legitimately be spoken in the same sentence as Alabama as really right now the two elite football programs in uh, the country. And, you know, I think that's saying a lot, obviously, for Clemson. It's definitely saying a lot for Alabama because, you know, they had every right, you know, they have every right to go into each season ranked as the preseason number one, no matter what happened the year before, because they've proven it over and over again that they are going to be one of the best in college football. So for now, for Clemson to be on that same level and to have proven it by winning this game, uh, it's certainly an amazing feeling. Yeah, I think for me, uh, Alabama was good last year. I don't think I think we we talked about it. We, we talked about it ad nauseum over the offseason. I think we were a little bit better. It was it was a one possession game, um, and you know we, we everyone knows what happened. We didn't pull it out because of uh, lack of attention to detail. Whatever the whatever the case, um, this season though, I think Alabama was better. Their defense was, in my opinion, in my estimation, they were better. The way that they could rush Deshaun Watson, they just couldn't quite do that. They could suffocate the pocket last year with those big bodies, um, but they had guys that could really, uh, really quick. Tim Williams, Ryan Anderson. Um, God, Reuben Foster, is uh, he's probably the best linebacker I've seen in quite some time in, in college football. But um, they, they were better, and it was going to take every ounce of talent, every ounce of effort that we had. Um, the margin for errors, as small as the margin for error felt last year, I think it felt even smart, smaller this year. And to hell with what everyone says about the Lane Kiffin, Sarkeesian, uh, Sarkeesian not doing a good job of the play calling. Like they scored thirty one points. Thirty one points on a team that shut out Ohio State uh, the week prior. Right, and 
people, I mean, the national narrative reads what Alabama didn't do, the what ifs, and our, our co-host Tully says they, the, the magnifying glass goes over those what ifs when you're the losing team more so than when you're the winning team. But I, I think it's a lot, a lot of the trouble Alabama had, and we'll talk about this on offense, the trouble they were having had a lot to do with our very imposing front seven, that defensive line. Yeah, well, for all the things that people will say Alabama didn't do, what I'll tell you that Clemson did do is they won the game 35-31 to in just absolute epic fa- fashion. Um, you know, Cody, this game really reminded me a lot of an NFL game. Uh, Sometimes the offenses, both offenses, looked anemic. I mean, you talk about Alabama, only two third-down conversions the whole game, and none coming, you know, well after, you know, I don't think, I don't even know if they had any third-down conversions in the second half. Um uh, but there were moments where both teams would, would put together great drives. And much like an NFL game, it was really all about orchestrating, uh, the art of orchestrating a drive. And you saw that. A bunch of big defensive stands. But every once in a while, these offenses would get it going. They would have a big play, and they would score. And that's why you, you saw the score end up being what it was. But overall, I thought the defenses played fantastic in this game. Um, I obviously think Clemson's offense played a good bit better than uh, Alabama's, and I think the the number one reason for that is because Clemson had the best quarterback in the country. Right. I think that was it. Our, our best player brought out the best in everybody else. I think from one to you know one to twenty two, they might have been better and more talented, more deep. Um, but our, we you know we certainly had the talent to, to play with them, and then our best player was better than their best player. And, that, and when it's your quarterback, that that's going to say a lot. Uh, maybe one, you know, because we've had a little bit of time to soak up national narratives and kind of the headlines, and people come here because they want a little bit of a Clemson point of view. Well, I've heard a lot of national writers. It seems like everyone is talking about is this game better than the USC Texas game, and you know whatever it, you know it can stand on its own. It, it, it's it was a great game, and we we shouldn't care if it was better. The one thing that I, I do get bothered by uh, is those games was like it was straight offense. Uh, the reason this game might not have been quite as entertaining, you know, quite as like back and forth with the scores, was because there were two damn good defenses. One historically good defense in, in Alabama and another one that's a, a legit elite top five defense too. So you're not going to see quite as much Big 12 action, you know, back and forth. This was, a, like you said, been an NFL game in my opinion. Like so much strategy, so much nuance, and maybe it's not for everyone, but it, it was an amazing game that uh, – Every part of it, like you said, it was kind of like a fairy uh, fairy tale. It led to the ending, and it, it came down to that last second. So let's let's pivot off of that point because you and I have talked about uh, about how this game was kind of scripted and played out like a fairy tale. There were so many chapters in this game um, of, of of different storylines and different things happening that elicited so many emotions, and it all starts in the beginning and. You know, you got the villain in Alabama, and they come out and they punch Clemson right in the nose from the get-go. It's a, you can tell from the from the from the early going, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a physical game. There's big hits on Deshaun Watson. There's helmet to helmet contact on Mike Williams, and there was another play where that happened, where questionable could have been called. Um, you know, I hate the rule of throwing people out of the game, especially in the national championship game because that's even more magnified. So I'm fine with the no calls uh, just to see the best players on the field. Um, But again, all signs pointing it to to be such a physical, physical game. Uh, Bo Scarborough was plowing through people early on. Um, And you could tell, you know, because of that, 
the field position battle was going to be a big part of this game. And one of the things that really showed early is that Bama's punter was going to make a big difference pinning Clemson back. And when Clemson wasn't able to get drives going early on, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, they go up 7 nothing, then they go up 14 to nothing. What are you feeling at that moment? Do you, are you thinking that the game's over? Well, like, if you look at just the first quarter, and by the way, I'm sure most Clemson people have watched this game. I know you and I have. What happened in the moment was not what really happened in reality. We were just really nervous. Nerves got the best of us. Emotion probably got the best of us. So we were actually having a little bit of success. Not great success, but we were moving the chains in those first few drives. Not a lot of three and outs. The thing that really kind of put us back on our heels is that they kept getting after Deshaun and giving us, you know, putting us in down and distance situations. Going back, like that targeting call or the targeting, the hit on Deshaun, I'm okay. Like the referees have grabbed a great chunk of the headlines and the officiating, the missed picks or the rubs. I was I was kind of okay with how they called it. I'm kind of with you. I think they had like they were kind of the you know the mindset. Let's let things play out and not decide it. And I'd rather them err on that side than you know trying to interfere too much in the game. So I was okay. How did I feel though? Back to your original question, it felt like we were facing for one a better team than we faced the year before, and it was going to be an uphill climb. If you talk about just the first quarter where Bo Scarborough, uh, their their running game was having success. The way we took it to Ohio State, it was clear their offensive line was a lot better. A their edge blocking was a lot better, and I think the discipline in their run game w- was a lot better. Yeah, I mean, Bo Scarborough looked a bunch like, a lot like Derrick Henry from last year. I mean, he is a... With a little wiggle. With a little wiggle. He's a specimen of a human being, man. I mean, busting out his first TD run was 25 yards. His second one was 37 yards. Um, and at that point, that puts Clemson in its biggest deficit all year long, being down 14 to nothing. And, and you know what? It could have been worse. There were a couple of key plays for Clemson early on in this game that really kept it from getting out of hand early. One was the Tanner Muse uh, punt block. Again, talking about field position, that made a difference. Um, but then also a big stop on D after Sean Watson's uh, fumble near the end of the first quarter. Um, you know, if that punt's not blocked, Clemson gets bad field position, they give it back, and Alabama gets a shorter field to score. Or if Alabama scores after that fumble, I mean, it could be a different storyline of this game. But even though Clemson wasn't playing, uh, you know, great on defense to start early and wasn't really in rhythm on offense, the team's head was still in it. You know, a lot of people, fourteen to nothing, the national media, all the tweets you saw out there, they were ready to give up. They called it over. This football team wasn't. This Clemson football team was not ready to give up. They were going to figure it out, and they showed it. Down fourteen to nothing. You still felt that if they could get something going on offense, that this team would be fine. We felt like we, our back was against the ropes, or we were on the ropes. It, it definitely felt like that. It, I don't. It, it wasn't like that. Our defense was still effective. They were having a lot of three and outs or drives where they, you know, they got maybe one first down and they were out. Um, it, we just needed to get our feet under us. We need in, in credit to the offense. What was what was amazing about this game was the way that. It, the, the team that actually extended drives that got a few first downs, regardless if it ended in a, in a score or not, the defense was better because of it. And you saw it a lot in the second half, uh, but you also saw a little bit in the first half too. The fact that we could, even though we couldn't score, we couldn't flip the field as much as we wanted and get the field position we wanted. Just the fact that we were starting to go to Sean and he was doing those, those intermediate passes, those uh, little, those little uh, slants to Hunter Renfro, to Mike Williams, to Jordan Leggett, those all served a purpose uh, to start to wear out there. Because those, those defensive linemen for Alabama, big guys, athletic guys, but you can only go so many so many times and you start to run out of gas. Exactly. This is not a one-quarter game. It's a four-quarter game. 
and to run 99 plays on offense. Um, that's huge. And you talk about you know, credit to Tony Elliott and his game planning and, and him and Jeff Scott and then that play calling um, and having the foresight to call some of these plays early on to really open up things later. It wasn't just about trying to keep up in the first quarter. It was setting set something up um, to be successful at the end of the game. Exactly. And it didn't feel like that in the moment. It felt like we were just getting our ass handed to us. That was not what was going on. And like you said, credit to Tony Elliott. Um, we'll have more time, I think, to look back on how he did this year. A lot of things, in my opinion, were a little bit out of his control. Um, in this game, in the Ohio State game, I thought he called a wonderful game. And then an extension of him down on the field that we'll talk about a lot, Deshaun Watson, uh, proved a lot. Uh, that NFL stock going up, up and up. Let me ask you this before we go jump into like the, the turning point in the first half. Fourth and one, our first drive. Do you agree with the to go for it after uh, what, what do we have? Two first downs. We're moving the ball fairly well, and we could have pinned them back. We could have started to shift momentum. We didn't. They scored on the very next drive. I'm fine with it. I don't think it was the best play call, but the reason I'm fine with it is because that's been our identity all year long, and I believe in sticking to your identity. Not 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 to a fault where you're just making stupid play calls. Obviously, you have to scheme for your opponent, but at that moment in the game, I'm fine with Clemson being aggressive. I would rather this team be aggressive because that's who they are. That's who they've been all year long. I... We could talk like the negative plays in the game. Well, there's no reason to be negative because you know, like the old the wedding speech. All my rights have been, all my wrongs have been righted because I met you. I ended up with you, and all all of our rights, all of our wrongs were righted by Hunter Renfro in that catch. So it doesn't matter. It all led to the right result. But that, in my opinion, that was probably a very uh, it was a bad call, and I felt like it deflated us, and it took us a quarter and a half to really get back on the on the right side of that momentum. Yeah, at the same time, again, I'm, I, I more question the play call itself because at the same time, if we convert on that, it's a completely different story. So, again, you know, whether you do or you don't, that's going to uh, kind of dictate the story and what you take out of that. Um, but, you know, getting getting back to it, you know, at that point we're down 14 to nothing and you're looking for some spark out of Clemson. And then the hero kind of awakens in this game. And for me, that was when Deion Cain, his 43-yard catch and run, I thought it really sparked the offense because after that, Watson has a laser pass to Leggett, like an NFL-quality pass. You know, Clemson really started attacking on this drive, and you saw something different. Again, talk about the play calling. You started to see things being switched up. So at this point, Clemson goes down and scores on a Watson uh, rush TV, uh, rush TD to make it 14-7. to You see that smile start to come back on his face. Personally, for me, I think Alabama lost the game on that drive. I think that's a fair assessment. It wasn't just, well, for one, Deion Kane. Go back and watch that replay when he he hasn't played. He looked a little bit like Sammy Watkins. And coming into Clemson, there were some comparisons to Sammy Watkins. It was the first play all year all of his career, really, where I've seen him make so many moves in the open field and look that electric. Um, his whole game, he had to play like a elite wide receiver, like one of the best receivers in the nation. He has the talent. And he did. He he. He played like that, and if he can bring that next year, man, uh, he will be one of the top receivers in the country. That play was absolutely the turning point. And not just that, I think it was the first moment in the game where Alabama, they were a little bit on their heels. They couldn't. They were like, they realized we, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson was going to pass. He had an internal clock. We were doing those, you know, get it out quickly type passes. I, I think it kind of, and that just helped us to obviously put seven points on the board. But it started to deflate them, and the momentum slowly started to shift from that point on. 
And you know what I love to see out of this? I mean, it's not just, I mean, what you mentioned about Deion Kane is so true. I mean, you know, just his story, missing the game last year and, and being suspended, uh, you know, throughout spring practice and just, he never hung his head and pouted. That's all we heard. And the extra effort he put in to get back in Dabo's good graces, it all paid off for him in this game. And you saw that effort that he left out there on the field and every single catch he had. And to know that we have him going into next year, that's going to make up a lot for the loss of the guy of, of a Mike Williams and an Artavis Scott, um, and just so great to see that for him um, and have big of an impact. You know, he didn't score any touchdowns, but he had some huge catches in this game. Um, another thing too, uh, and I've noticed this all year long. Uh, how every time we score a TD, I love how Christian Wilkins shows up in the end zone celebrating, and it, the thought did not occur to me until I was going back and watching the game. Uh, it, I used to think, why the hell does he run all the way down from the sidelines and the coaches just let that happen? But then I realized he's on, he's on the extra point team. Uh, so it does make a lot more sense to me. But I love his energy and effort. And to see him down there, we get that first score. Um, you see the spark get back in this Clemson football team. And he's been, he's been doing that since he was a freshman on that extra, uh, extra point unit. Um, he actually, and I think most people saw this, uh, with his shirt off, all 310, 20, 320 pounds, however much he weighs, did a split after doing a little dance. So that'll that'll forever uh, kind of be embedded into my, into my I, mind. I think I pulled a groin watching him do that. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's nimble. Uh, apparently he is. So after that touchdown, you really start to see the defense uh, putting up stops on third down. They start to stuff Bo Scarborough at the line of scrimmage. Um and at the half, you know, Clemson had outgained Alabama by 20 yards. It's not a huge uh, margin, but judging by what had gone on, you really wouldn't have expected that. Um, you're only down seven at that point. The, the fumble wasn't a factor. Um, you know, field position has kind of been an issue, and you start to see that again. That's going to emerge as a, as a theme throughout other parts of this game. But again, down 14-7 to seven at the half, you just have this feeling that if the offense can get going, we've got a real chance to win this. Yeah, it felt like we got outplayed the whole first half. That was not the case. Uh, the numbers shake out. They, they show that we, we were right there. Um, it, it felt like an uphill battle, but after that last scoring drive, I felt pretty good. I felt like we were going to make it a game. Um, it, it definitely had to feel a little bit of last year, like they're going to do the boa constrictor. They're just going to bleed us out a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And I don't know how you felt, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't overly confident, to say the least, at, at halftime. No, but what I did feel, you know, I knew that Clemson had the ball to start the second half. And coming into the second half, I think that's where really the, the, the battle started to ensue in this story. Um, you get out there to start the second half. You feel like you have a good shot. Uh, offense seems to have started to click a little bit to go down there and score and tie the game. All of a sudden, Wayne Gallman fumbles uh, on the opening drive. And you get a little win uh, taken out of you at that point because, again, uh, all of a sudden you're down 2 nothing in the turnover battle to Alabama. Um, and that's just something you can't do against an elite team. That's what we said all you know coming to this game. We cannot lose the turnover battle, at least, and definitely not by a big margin. Uh, but a big play here, Hunter Renfro making that that huge tackle to prevent the team, uh, the touchdown, um, uh, you know, taking them back for a touchdown. I think that was a pivotal moment in this game too, because they could have gone down, gone up twenty-one to seven. And then you're looking like, man, we had a chance to tie the game, and you just can't keep giving Alabama those chances. When you rewatch it, you'll see, uh, I didn't realize how much of an open path Ryan Anderson had uh, after he, he grabbed it. He was off to the races. In comes Hunter Renfro to the rescue. Um, that, if they score that touchdown, I think you're right. That's, that's another pivotal moment. I, I think we lose the game. And then 
immediately after that, it was clear the defense had had their feet under them. Getting that stop, holding them to three points, that was that was huge. It was it was it meant so much for them. I mean, they, they couldn't even move the ball forward hardly. They such a great play from that point on. We felt pretty good. Yeah, I mean, for a team that's thrived all year long on, uh, you know, on their defense putting up points, those two turnovers were really um, the damage was limited. It, it held them to three points. the The defense had a stop, big stop, both times. So even after that turnover, you're halfway through the third, and Clemson's down seventeen to seven. It's not an insurmountable lead. You're, you know, you just figure again if if Clemson can start to find some rhythm on offense. Um, you know, and start to wear down this Alabama defense as good as they are, that they they, they can still win this game. Um, so, you know, the following drive, uh, you know, Clemson has a little bit of rhythm, but the drive stalls. Uh, I think a clutch uh, call for me, and I called this when it was happening, is Deshaun Watson's pooch punt uh, gave Clemson great field position, um, you know, after, uh, you know, after Alabama goes three and out on their ensuing drive. Uh, and at this point, we start to see some casualties of war. Uh, Bo Scarborough uh, goes down. Cleveland Farrow goes down. And these are two guys that are having really good games. And you'll see a lot of the national media talking about Bo Scarborough, um, how much that had an impact uh, on Alabama. But again, we mentioned Clemson started to bottle him up a little bit at a point in the second quarter. Not to mention that Alabama replaces him with a 1,000-yard back, who was their leading rusher on the team. Yeah, and if you look at his drives leading up to that moment, I can't remember how many. I think it was three consecutive three-yard runs. So it wasn't like he was – I don't know where he became Derrick Henry on steroids all of a sudden because uh, that was that was a big loss. But Cleveland Farrell was equally a, a big loss for us because he was going up against Cam Robinson, their all-world uh, left tackle. And, you know, Cam Robinson won his fair, show, fair matchups that night, but – what I saw from Cleveland Farrell, he was a guy, he was stressing Robinson a lot, getting off blocks laterally. Um, he's going to be a terrific player for us next year. Well, and props to Austin Bryant for being able to come him, uh, come in and spell him and us really not see much of a step down from him. You know, obviously he entered this uh, season with a lot of high hopes, had that injury, uh, came back to play in the second half of the season. But I really think that the time off for bowl practice really helped him get his feet back under him and start to excel. Because I didn't see a lot of drop-off when Farrell went out. There was a little bit of drop-off because they were running to that left side. There was a little bit of Jurgen in there. So they actually became the, the beneficiary with Scarborough um, you know, leading the attack, um, going at a, the side where Cleon Farrell went down. So uh, you know, that's the narrative you'll never hear about again. But you know, it is what it is. Um, you're right, Austin Bryant, being able to play both sides of the line, too, is a, a big thing. I, I noticed we're doing a lot of rotations on that defensive line because you saw how Alabama got gas. We we were had a propensity to get gas as well. Um, it, it never never happened, luckily for us. So at this point in the game, you know, midway through the third quarter, Clemson puts t- together a drive capped by a Hunter Renfro TD uh, uh, to pull within three seventeen to fourteen midway through the third. Um, and then uh, later on, Jalen Hurts hits OJ Howard on a big bust by Van Smith for a sixty-eight yard TV. Uh, Bama goes up twenty-four to fourteen. At this point, Cody, are you wondering how much longer Clemson can keep playing catch up? Yeah, that that was the point where it's like, okay, we're out playing them. We've like where our defense has again got its footing. We're we're forcing them into some three and outs. We're making it hard for them to get anything going on offense. Um, on offense, we are moving the ball. We're not we're not putting up points every possession, but we are moving the ball with efficiency. 
and they still have a ten point lead. Yeah, I mean, with, it with, felt like, oh my god, we're gonna lose this game. We're gonna outplay them again, and we're gonna lose this game. Yeah, with two minutes left in the third quarter, Clemson had outgained Alabama by a hundred yards. I mean, at this point, it's starting to grow. It was twenty at halftime. Uh, near the end of the third, it's 100. So you can tell this, the numbers are telling you that Clemson is starting to move the ball, but it's little things here and there. It's the blown coverages again against O.J. Howard. Uh, it's a turnover to start the second half. And you're right. You're, you really start thinking to yourself, man, we, we should have won last year. It's a little bit different this year because we're trying to come from behind, but we still feel like we're, we're, we're going toe-to-toe with them and have a great shot. I, I felt we made mistakes in, the, in that game, Tur- two turnovers that we shouldn't have made. Um, field position, field, uh, special teams wasn't great, at least in that first half. And that moment, that bust was huge. Um, I felt like we had, that was, we had no extra lives from that point on. We had to be flawless and sure enough, we were. Yeah. So we entered the first, uh, fourth quarter. Um, you know, it was mentioned Nick Saban, 97 and 0 at that point, all time when leading by two scores heading into the fourth. So if you're an Alabama fan with that defense that you have, you're feeling really good. Uh, but then Deshaun Watson drives and hits Williams uh, for a TD to pull within 24 to 21. And all right, so we're trading scores at that point. But I think a big key following that on the ensuing Alabama drive, there's a mix-up on a screen where Howard actually picks a pass intended for Damian Harris, who I think could have taken it to the house. And at that point, if they do that, they go up 10 again. But how ironic is it that all year long we talk about Clemson and the inability uh, of them to put games away this time it's Alabama in the national championship game when the stakes are the highest. And again, when you're going back and forth this late in the game, that's another turning point. It was a few other drives. Clemson's hanging in the game. Then Clemson finally takes their first lead uh, of the game on a Wayne Gallman TD run with four, uh, four and a half minutes left to play, set up by a gutty Deshaun Watson run that gets, uh, gets Clemson down to the one. You know, Guillermo and Hurd had a huge push on that play, and you start to see Clemson's offense exert its dominance. Again, waiting till four minutes, four and a half minutes left at the end of the game, they finally take their first lead. So, you know, what's kind of crazy is we talk about the boa constrictor, and if you're not familiar with that, Bama, basically what they do is put so much pressure on you, really with their defense, um, and basically you just you suffocate. And I know it sounds like, well, that makes a lot of sense. They did that to Washington, and they do that to every team. And a lot of times the games don't be kind of close, but eventually, you know, just their talent um, and speed and depth at every position, just you just give in and you cave. Um, and that's why they're so hard to beat. Well, in a way, I, we did kind of a similar boa constrictor to them on offense. We had a game plan, uh, which was, like, like we said, Deshaun Watson sitting in the pocket um, with that internal clock set to two seconds, maybe two and a half seconds. Those short passes, um, credit to him. Like, I talked about his NFL stock. What he had to do, and, and he did it. And he did this a lot of similar things in the Ohio State game. He had to process so much um, safeties moving about, um, knowing where he had one-on-one matchups. And you think like that's you know it's it's hard. Of course, it's like ten times harder when Ryan Anderson's coming around the corner. He's going to beat his man. Tim Williams is coming around the corner again. Reuben Foster is just a bad bad man. Knowing that if you if you miscalculate, if you make a mistake, you're going to get blown up, and it might be the end of your night might be the end of your career like that's the stakes that's how hard it is that's the pressure uh and what he's got to process in such a limited amount of time so again long story short long story long it took a lot a lot of Deshaun Watson and what he was doing pre-snap uh knowing what was going on 
and the greatness of him. And I, more so than ever after these last two games, I have confidence that he's he's got a very high floor in the NFL. Not sure if he'll be Tom Brady, but he's going to be a starter for someone. So, so let me ask you this. You know, at, at this point in the game, when Clemson takes their first lead, what are you feeling then? And then what are you feeling when Bama gets the ball back, uh, converts on a big fourth and one with three minutes left to play, uh, has that uh, trick play from Harris to Howard, um, and then Hertz has that big 30-yard uh, run to put them back up. So what are you feeling when Clemson first takes the lead with not a lot of time left? And then what are you feeling when Bama goes up with two minutes left in the game? When we take the lead there, and I, I don't know, I feel like everyone felt this. You know, There were four minutes left on the clock when we, we went up 28-24. to 24. But we had stopped Alabama in their last three drives, and they were rendered completely. Jalen Hurts was completely ineffective. They could not move the ball. I thought the game was over at 28-24. I think what happened on that ensuing drive where Alabama, well, for one, they pulled the rabbit out the hat. They had our Darius Stewart um, throwing passes for them at that point. Before that, you saw uh, you saw Hurts uh, make that play on the run. He hadn't made a pass play all game. He just basically threw it up into the into space, and, and somehow somebody, some guy came up with it. Um, I think at that moment, that was a third and 16. They completed it. I think our defense, they, they, they put everything into that. They thought the game was going to be over then, too. They thought our offense could handle the remaining three minutes of the game. They couldn't. Uh, that, that pretty much did them in. You saw it after that. They, they do the trip pass. Uh, Hertz goes in the next, I think, the next down. We were gassed by that point. Yeah, you know, when, when we went up um, to take our first lead, you still think there's too much time left on the clock. And this game is far from over. But then Ben Bulware gets that big uh, tackle in the backfield uh, to put them in in that third and 16 position. And you're like, man, we got this. You know, this is not a passing team. They're not going to be able to do this. Then they get that big 15-yard pass to put it in fourth and one. And, of course, Nick Saban's going to go for it. And it's going to be very hard for this Clemson team to, to stop them from getting it. So I think you're right. I think that just kind of deflated this defense a little bit. And then you saw it, you know, the next couple plays, that big pass to Howard and then the, the big run from Hurts. And then next thing you know, Clemson, uh, Bama's back up 31-28 to 28 with two minutes left. But at that point, I immediately thought that they left too much time. And so did Deshaun Watson because he said it. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I felt like there was no time left. It was, it was refreshing to see there were two minutes. Two things that happened um, that I think led to this, again, being the, the fairy tale that it was. The storybook ending. For one, the fact that our defense was gassed and Hertz ran almost untouched into the end zone, that was huge because if we would have kept grinding it out, we probably would have been left with less than a minute. If not, well, we had some timeouts, but we would have been left with very little time. Our field goal would have been our best option. The second thing is CJ Fuller almost took it to the house. He was one arm tackle away from taking it to the house. And I think we still could have won had that. I mean, that would have been the, basically the, the ending to the story, potentially. But I also think you'd have left them with a little bit of time on the, on the back end. And it felt great. And it felt right that Deshaun Watson had the ball in that last quarter. And he was going to decide it one way or the other. And I don't know about you. I felt so confident at that moment. Put the ball back in Deshaun Watson's hands with two minutes left to drive the field. I don't care who they're playing. I don't care what that defense is ranked. I don't care if it's an NFL defense. I feel supremely confident in that. And this is the point in our story where the hero emerges and conquers the villain. Talk about this last drive, man. I mean, it wasn't just the last play. There were so many things going on in this last drive. There was that great catch 
by Mike Williams down the side. The lateral from Scott to Gallman, man, he was hit right at or behind the line of scrimmage. But for him to power through and get six yards on that play, that's winning. That's what they call, that's what Nick Saban calls winning first down. That was a huge play because then that sets up, a, uh, you know, an easier third down conversion to Hunter Renfro. Um, and at that point, you know, you're like, when is Clemson going to call? They have two timeouts left. Your emotions are start getting high. And you start to realize that it's going to come down to the wire. And you know what? Were you thinking field goal? I wasn't thinking field goal. And I don't think Dabo was thinking field goal. It, it did feel a little before. It, it felt a little conservative. Like, we, were, we weren't okay with uh, – we, we needed to get, obviously, into field goal position. It did feel like that was going to be sufficient until past the Leggett. And by the way, that it seemed like they were one-upping one another from that the catch by Mike Williams, which could have been maybe one of the best catches of the season, to Jordan Leggett's catch. Did, I mean, did the – for Leggett to make up for that a little bit easier catch that he missed earlier in a crucial situation, like, I mean, so many storylines, all these guys on the team, I love it for all of them, for them to all to put it together in this moment, in this final drive, it comes to a crescendo. I couldn't, like, in in real time, it just felt right, oh, Leggett made a great catch, but when you rewatch that, and you see, like, he literally had to stop on a dime, turn his body, um, his hands, his arms were fully extended, there's probably like two or three tight ends in the whole country that could have made that play. Um, it, it was the, the best, probably the best, it's definitely, the, I should say, the best catch of his career. And at that point, it felt like we were going to win it. Yeah, well, it we were going to win it with a touchdown. It was certainly the most important catch of his career. And I think with that play alone, it shows you that they were not going to settle for a field goal. So we get the ball down there to the nine, 14 seconds left. Um, you got to overthrow to Leggett in the end zone. You have a pass interference call on Mike Williams, which, you know, I'm, I, I watch it again. I agree with the pass interference call. But the interesting thing, they called it in the end zone, which takes the ball down to the two instead of half the distance to the goal. Looking at it again, I definitely think that the pass interference occurred a few yards before the end zone. Yeah, and, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, the fact that Williams was as good as he was all, all game, they, they didn't have a choice but to, but to interfere. And going back to last year, Deion Kane and Mike Williams not being, being a part of the game, like it, it felt like kind of a reassuring, hey, if we had these two guys, we would have been fine. Those, those two guys had so, so much of an impact on, this, on how this game played out. And, uh, wow, uh, Mike Williams, I think, proved that he is the best. If there was any doubt, I think he proved he's probably the best receiver in, in college football. Oh, absolutely. Obviously. You'll see him taken as the first wide receiver in the NFL draft. You know, it's not a lot of times that wide receivers get taken in the top 10. I think you might see it with this one. Um, you know, all this to say, what this sets up, you mentioned about how much attention they have to pay to Mike Williams. This sets up the final play of the game. They have to devote so much attention to him on the opposite side. Um, first and goal, six seconds left. What a perfectly called and executed play. You can say, you know, Bama fans can cry all they want about there being some illegal screen because their guy caught Arteva Scott and threw him to the ground. But what a great route run by Hunter Renfro. He's been doing it all year long. And then what just, you saw it. You knew it before the pass left his hand. That was going to be it. What an easy toss to Renfro for the TV, for the TD. And at that point, we went absolutely crazy. I couldn't believe it. Um... Renfro, the whole game though, they say Mr. Reliable. It's, it's unbelievable how he, like those those catches over the middle that he was making. And Deshaun Watson made it a point to throw them down to the ground, and he is the reason that this like uh, oh my god, 
such a good, like, deserving of his scholarship, um, an amazing player, so reliable. Like, the focus and the level of attention, uh, the, you know, the attention to detail that it takes for a guy like him to play at the level that he plays at. He's not that limited in athleticism, but his size is, um, it's on the smaller side. Uh, just a t- tremendous game. And he's still got two years left at Clemson, well, assuming he stays around. Well, and he had amazing catches all game long. You talk about how reliable he is. So how fitting is it that they go to him to win Clemson's second national championship in school history? Apparently Jeff Scott's call, and it was the right one. I, I mean, they knew they had the advantage, and apparently they gave Deshaun Watson a chance to run it in. If they, if they sucked into the end zone and he had a free path, he was going to take it, which would have been, oh my, like, brains would have been blown if he got stopped at the one. But um, why not throw it to Renfro? And in so, the poise, like the two guys, it seems like with the most poise on the team, the most sure-handed guys, one being Deshaun Watson, cool as a cucumber, Hunter Renfro, he'll catch anything thrown his way. Yeah, you're right. What, like How fitting. And, uh, you know, the most amazing thing for us, we were, again, we were out in the RV lot watching this game. So there's a second, seven-second uh, delay on TV. So I'm sitting there crouched, staring at it, and all of a sudden, everybody behind us starts going crazy before the play even goes off. We turn around and see the fireworks going off. So we knew it even before we saw the play happen, but it just slowed down. Like, for me, it just slowed down watching it all unfold, knowing that, that we were about to see uh, um, Clemson win it all. And I, I can't describe, again, we talked about it at the beginning of this episode, I can't begin to describe the emotions that I felt, um, you know, just being a Clemson fan my whole life, uh, you know, re- you know, going back to watching them in the the early '90s under Ken Hatfield. Uh, I remember one of my favorite players back in the day, Desha- uh, Deshaun Cameron, um, and just all the Clemson players and coaches that I remember throughout those years and all the suffering when you all you really had to hang your hat on back then was beating South Carolina. Um, and just to, to, to play back all those memories that all went through my head, um, and just to realize that Clemson had just won the national championship was one of the greatest feelings that I've ever experienced in my life. And I'm sad to say that a football game uh, can do that to me, but again, it's not just about football. It's about uh, the players on this team, the coach that we have, the dedication, the university, uh, the family and community that Nobody else understands. Nobody else still gets it, what Clemson has and why it's so special. But you know what? Those of us who do know, um, we appreciate um, how much uh, you know, it all means to us. And you know, we all came together, uh, the orange-clad faithful at that moment, and all rejoiced and honestly let out a big sigh of relief knowing that we had finally won another national championship. Maybe one more. There's one more element that you missed, and there was no, nothing about it. Nothing about this was sticking it to Alabama or sticking it to Saban or one-upping Saban. But there was an onside kick. And it, I mean, how, how, <laughs> how fitting! <laughs> I mean, you talk about like just poetic, I, like amazing. And then of course Deshaun Watson, like also the other last part of that. One Even second left. He got to do the vic- uh, the victory formation. Like it was in his control. Knowing that he had the ball at the end, and he, you know, he quite, he, he did obviously, you know, throwing it to Renfro, but also in that victory formation, well, which he, he practiced, and he ends his career at Clemson as the best player in program history and as a national champion, um, and just so happy for him. We, 
shared those tears of joy that he shed on the sidelines together. Every member of Clemson Nation shared those with him. Um, Cody, obviously Deshaun Watson, player of the game. Uh, you know, I think he was the, he has two of the top three all-time uh, uh, rated performances um, by a quarterback in a national championship game. I think he's the only player ever, only quarterback ever, to throw for over 400 yards twice in a national championship game. Obviously, player of the game. Let me ask you this: Give me a player of the game not named Deshaun Watson. I'm not. I'm not. I'm also not going to say Mike Williams because I think that's the easy answer. Um, several guys like Ben Bulware on defense. Uh, played great. I'm going to go with someone no one will name, and that's Wayne Gallman. And everyone I talked to, it seemed like after the game, said we had, we had such a hard time uh, getting anything going with Wayne Gallman. I mean, wh- and I say, Louis, what the hell did you expect against this Alabama defense? But unlike last year, there was we, we, part of our game plan. We needed to move the chains. We needed to get positive yards. We didn't have to get six yards on first down. We didn't have to run it for 12 or, or beyond. But we needed to get positive yards and not put you know put ourselves behind the chains. And Gallman did that. He was what he exudes everything you know about this team and its mentality. Hard nosed, you know, play to play to the end of the whistle. Uh, get it, and, and just him as a player, getting the most out of every bit of talent that he had in this game. When you rewatch it, he actually played a lot better than you'll suspect than you, you probably suspected when you watched it live. Um, and he was also really great out of the backfield catching the ball, which was an element of his game uh, that wasn't really there you know last year. So that's I'm going with Wayne Gallman. And uh, to people who know me, and I think to people who have listened to this podcast for a long time, it's going to come as no surprise that I say Hunter Renfro. Um, just not because of his backstory, but just of, of how well he played in this game. And now two years in a row, how well he's played against Alabama. And it wasn't just about his big clutch catches um, and his you know, two touchdowns, and one being the game winner. It's all the little things that he does. Uh, the tackle on the Gallman fumble at the beginning of the, of the the second half that we mentioned to to prevent a TD that really could have uh, possibly iced it for Alabama. I know it's 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 still you know halfway through the game, but you know that that would have been deflating. Um, but he gave the defensive opportunity to make a stop and hold him to a field goal. Um, and all the little things you see him do out there blocking on the edge, um, but ultimately led the team in catches. Uh, four of his eleven TDs in his career, have now come against Alabama in the national championship game. And I just, I couldn't be more excited for him. Uh, you know, coming on as a walk-on um, and just sticking with it when so many people that come on, play on the scout team, drop off because of how they just, they're just tackling dummies out there. We'll, we'll give more player awards in the future episodes, but I think those are two pretty solid picks. Um, I guess the the one thing we got a narrative from this game as Clemson fans is every player it seemed from Leggett to Mike Williams to Deion Kane um, to every guy on the defense. God, watch Kendall Joseph and some of the plays he made. Everyone had at some point in the game uh, like a pivotal moment or a play where they had to be great, and it's something we've been wanting so long all year for everyone to put it together and and you know put it bring their best performance to. Well- to the front, and, and they finally did. And that, and that's a great point. It wasn't about any one person in this game. It was a total and complete team effort, and it was the culmination of something that these guys have had stewing inside of them uh, since that loss to Alabama in the national championship game last year. And you heard them talk about it all in the off season, all through spring practice, 
through summer workouts, into fall practice, and throughout the season, all the highs and lows of the season when people questioned them, they backed it up. They talked the talk, and they walked the walk, and they're national champions. It was everything we wanted to see all year, and, and we saw it. And Dabo said, don't call it no upset. And it, it really wasn't, because it, it was a damn good team. Um, best Clemson team I've ever seen. Most complete team. Um, not even close. And to all those people, too, that say that Deshaun Watson, it's Deshaun Watson, you know, we're going we're gonna to go down next year. Well, you saw it on display. So many parts of the field on every level from, of the offense and defense. NFL players resided. NFL-type level plays were being made. So it was, it was as great as Deshaun Watson was. It was, like you said, it was a band of brothers. So let's, let's end this uh, by looking a little bit ahead to next year. Um, you know, you saw ESPN's way too early top 25 come out. I wouldn't say Clemson necessarily slighted, but I will point out that Alabama lost their quarterback last year, uh, won the title game, still entered the season as the preseason ranked number one team. You see Clemson slip to five, and honestly, a ra- uh, you, know, you know, admittingly, it is a, a ranking that has no bearing on the 2017 college football season. Um, but there's still that little bit of underestimating Clemson and what's happening here. When you see them rank Penn State and USC ahead of this team at this point, did you see what just happened on the field? It wasn't about just about the juniors and seniors that are leaving. This entire team is uh, poised and prepared, and especially with the recruits coming in, to make this a long-term run. You, you give me a break, man. Cry me a river, number five, and fill in slighted. I mean, come on. Like, I heard it Bill Connolly say. You know Dabo's always looking for a reason. He needs a way (laughs) to position this team as an underdog and to make them think everything's against them. So I'm just trying to help out here. Bill Connolly said 95% of fan bases are going to say, cry me a river, you you have a down year, you go 10-2, and like boo-hoo. I think, like you said, talent is everywhere. And what bothered me, I think you can look at your defense coming into this season, we lost eight guys. But we knew how good Christian Wilkins was. We knew how good Kendall Joseph was. Um, the guys that were returning, we knew how good they were. Uh, Carlos Watkins, Ben Bowler, and Cordero Tankersley. The same thing is happening next year. We're just going to put guys in. Now, how variable that quarterback spot is, that's, that's where the pendulum goes from are we a playoff team or are we merely a top 15, top 25 team. And that question mark, you know, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give people the benefit of the doubt if they want to slide us a little bit because we don't know. But this is this is a program that's recruiting up there with the you know maybe not twenty five person classes, but we're bringing in four or five star guys. Um, there's talent. I think I told you this. I think it's going to be probably the best defense of the Venables era. Well, there, and that's amazing to hear. After we keep turning over the best defense in in his era every single year, and coming back with with another you know, one-two punch, uh, no matter who it may be, across the defensive line, the linebackers, you know, and, and into the secondary. Um, it, it, there's going to be so many great storylines to watch and pay attention to here in the offseason and again into spring practice. And I don't know about you, I, I can't wait for it. Uh, I can't wait to watch that spring game. I can't wait to watch these guys get back on the field. I don't think, I, I don't think there's going to be a hangover. I really don't because this isn't the pros. You're cycling new guys in. You had guys sitting on the sidelines, um, redshirt freshmen, 
uh, freshmen and sophomores who weren't getting a lot of playing time, walk-ons who could emerge, and all the recruits coming in that want a piece of that pie. They want a piece of greatness that this team achieved this year. I, exactly what you said, and you saw a little bit from Ohio State. It's the perfect marriage of guys that are hungry, guys like Trayvon Mullen, guys like you know Richard Yergin, uh, Xavier Kelly, some guys that didn't get to play this year will have their opportunity. They're hungry. But you also have to have leadership. And we were, everyone was questioning, will we have leadership? Well, who's going to be our leaders? That was the last thing on my mind. I think when you, you have a culture where the kind of leadership, it, it kind of just manifests you know, on its own. There's, there's plenty of guys that can be leaders. So, again, leadership, uh, hunger, it's, it's a perfect, again, perfect mixture that, that, could, that could get you right back to the, to the mountaintop, or at least in that conversation. Again, all eyes on Zarek Cooper, Hunter Johnson, and, and Kelly Bryant. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, that that puts a wrap um, on the 2016 national champions of college football, the Clemson Tigers. Uh, the best team in the country, led by the best player in the country, uh, led by the coach of the year, um, you know, a leader of a bunch of guys who, in my opinion, had the most grit, heart, and willpower in the entire country, and they did it all for the best fan base in the entire country. Um, again, I mentioned it before, this is just the first part of a multi-part uh, recap. We're going to dive in deeper um, you know, and talk about some different storylines in the game, but we wanted this one to just come out and be a very emotional reaction because, as we know, most of you are having uh, – uh, to this win, just just such an epic win, just such a wonderful feeling to walk around knowing that your Tigers are the best team in the country. Um, so kind of looking to head to, to what we have up, I know, I believe, Cody, uh, next episode, uh, we're going to have the podcast's favorite villain, um, um, old Dump Truck, on the show, aren't we? <laughs> well, his name is Bulldozer, um, Alabama grad, uh, very arrogant, as uh, I guess the last seven years, eight years of Alabama football will make you. Uh, but he came on for our preview show of the national championship game, and we interviewed him for half an hour. Where, um, you know, very funny guy, but also very confident. And uh, no matter any whatever outcome I presented him, uh, he was pretty confident Alabama was going to prevail. Well, because they didn't, we had a bet that he would, if, if Clemson would have lost, he would have got he would have came onto the show and ragged Clemson fans. And since he didn't, since Clemson won, he gets to come on, have a little ex interview. Uh, we get to grill him, so definitely stay tuned for that in uh, probably the next episode. Well, very gracious of uh, Bullfrog to come back on the show after the loss. Uh, we'll also have Tully uh, back with us. He took in the game from uh, Singer Singapore. You know, he started the season in France, ended the season in Singapore. Why not? Um, so he'll be back um, uh, to join us again as we talk about the many storylines and the aftermath of this Clemson victory. Um, so before we go here today, you know, another thing that we're going to be getting into now that, that, that uh, football is winding down is obviously we're going to be covering Clemson basketball and Clemson baseball, high expectations for both of these teams. Uh, you know, for Clemson basketball, after winning nine in a row, including a comfort from behind victory on the road against Wake Forest open ACC play, uh, they've now lost the last three, a close overtime loss to North Carolina, another close game on the road to a ranked Notre Dame team. Um, and then a 75 to 63 loss uh, at Georgia Tech tonight, who is a decent team, but you know still a win that Clemson needed. Um, definitely a must-win coming up against number 19 uh, Virginia at home on Saturday at 9 a.m. 
Uh, we're again, we're going to get more into this now that the football season is over. Uh, we're going to bring uh, our good friend uh, Ryan Cantor from Shaking the Southland on this, uh, the show to give us more insight into this basketball team. Um, so be on the lookout for that. So before we go today, Clemson fans, one more thought. Enjoy this. Take this in. Savor this moment. This has been a long time coming for the fan base, the students, um, all the uh, former alumni, the players, the coaches, and everybody that put so much into this. Our time has come. Clemson is back on top of the college football universe. And with that, we leave you with the words of Clemson's favorite son, the junkyard dog, Ben Boulware. I'm, I'm so happy to, to see the fruit of our labor, to see it, all the hard work pay off. All year, we controlled the input. We could, all night, we controlled the input. We controlled our attitude, our mentality, our mindset. And we let care of the output take care of herself. And I, I'm so... I'm so happy for our family. It's not, it's not, this is not for just us. This is for the Taj Boyds, the Stephon Anthony's, the Grady Jarrett's, the New Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. Y'all built this. Y'all started this foundation. And all we did is build upon it. And we finished it. It's been 35 long years. Clemson, y'all been waiting 35 years. It's finally coming home, baby. It's coming home.